0: You know, I remember a conversation I had with God just over eight years ago, and it came to mind this week as I began preparing this message in the series. And I know it was a little over eight years ago because it was June of 2013. And my family and I had recently left Wyoming where we had lived all our lives and loaded up a moving truck and driven across the country to West Virginia to take my first senior pastorate to be the pastor of Southridge Church of God there in Charleston, West Virginia. And to say that we were experiencing some culture shock would be a massive understatement. Uh, We had always lived in Wyoming. We'd grown up in small towns, and uh, we had most recently spent about eight or ten years in the community of Casper, which was, was a community that a lot of people got sent to and found themselves there without family. And so community developed very quickly, and we were in a large church. I was an associate pastor in a large church. There were a lot of small groups. There was a lot of connectedness, and we had a really tight-knit group of friends, and and they were like family to us, and we had family that lived close by too, which didn't hurt, um, but we found ourselves in West Virginia, and uh, a rather poor transition uh, into West Virginia. We found a family of six living in a hotel room for about 40 days and 40 nights as we came to refer to it. Um, from the time we left Casper until we got into a rental house that had been delayed a couple of times was exactly 40 days. And um, And so we were struggling, but by June we had gotten settled into our home. We had the boxes unpacked and things started to look like they might be a little settled. And it was about that time that what I thought at the time was the most influential board member I had, he started to misbehave a little bit and, and started to say, well, we need to do this and you need to do that. And, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't going very well. And I found myself in a little over my head. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to lead in that circumstance And uh, those were some pretty difficult days. Fortunately, there were four other board members and they began to understand what was going on and they did the right thing. And so that situation began to resolve itself and I was grateful for that. But the circumstances surrounding that really shook my leadership confidence. And I, I remember a night where I was Doing battle, you know the enemy was right there to say, so of course, your leadership confidence should be shaken you you didn 't handle that situation at all. you probably don 't have what it takes you shouldn 't have moved your family across the country and the enemy was just sitting there barking at me, and I finally called out to God and said i don 't know what to do. I need wisdom. I cried out and I said, "God, I just need wisdom and i won 't say it was an audible voice, but it maybe was louder than an audible voice, it was this deep, heavy impression that came on to me that said, you have wisdom, you have it available to you, and you have abilities, and you have skills, and you have things that you have learned. Will you lean into those right now, or will you whine and complain and decide you don't have what it takes and figure out what to do next? And so I opened my Bible that night, and I started reading the book of Proverbs, And I read those 31 chapters of Proverbs over the course of about the next two days. And uh, as I was doing that, I felt like, yes, there are principles in God's Word. There's wisdom available to me from God's Word. I have experiences. I have things that I've learned. I'm not completely without resource here. And I began reading the book of Proverbs a chapter a day and did that for the next eight months. And every time I would finish through one time, I would change translations. So sometimes I was reading the NIV, sometimes I was reading the New King James, sometimes I was reading the Amplified or the Message or all of these different translations. And each day before I would read that chapter of Proverbs, I would ask God to reveal to me one proverb, one idea, one thought that would help me to pastor in this church. And it was amazing how often that was the case. And this was actually when I began posting a scripture every day. And uh, there was very, very few days that I missed over the next eight months that I was posting a scripture from Proverbs. And it would be amazing how often that would come back throughout the course of the day or the week. And it just became a drumbeat in my life. And I had been a regular Bible reader, but but it became a daily discipline and a daily habit. And it really did over the course of those next 8 months put wisdom into me and give me a confidence in God and in his word and in his holy spirit's ability to lead and to guide that has made all the difference I believe in my time as a pastor serving God and seeking to lead his church to lead my family, and to lead my own life. And so I was excited to be able to start a new sermon series on the book of Proverbs and uh, to to look particularly at my favorite chapter in Proverbs, which is Proverbs chapter 3. So we're in a series now, starting today for the next five weeks, called The Blessings of Wisdom. And one of the reasons that I love chapter 3 of Proverbs is that those first 12 verses really take life at a number of different angles and hold up the value of wisdom and the value of God's wisdom and the value of God's truth in a powerful way that help us to see God's will and how God's wisdom intersects our daily lives. You see, the book of Proverbs is a a beautiful uh, collection of wisdom, and it was assembled by King Solomon, and it was written down, and he was known as the wisest man who ever lived, and And he was intentional in, in transmitting this from one generation to the next. But it's unique in that it's not just something for a king over a nation, it's something that intersects our daily lives. And so we'll see as we walk through this passage this morning, and then as we go through it week by week, how it really does intersect a variety of of avenues or Um, a variety of aspects of our lives. And so before we dive in there, I got to give a hat tip to Pastor Zach and Sandy and Michael and the team last week who stepped into a pretty difficult situation and led with excellence. And Zach had a wonderful sermon on on spiritual fire and how we cultivate that spiritual fire and how we continue to pursue that spiritual fire. So if you missed that, I would highly recommend you go back and watch that message or listen to that message on our podcast, um, because I was really proud of the team and the way that they stepped into those circumstances and led well. And I was grateful to see so many people tune in online and worship with us online. Today, we're going to start this series with a message titled, An Invitation to Abundance. An Invitation to to abundance. As we look at these opening verses of Proverbs chapter 3, we'll see that there is an invitation here, an exhortation to pursue wisdom, and in doing so, to invite abundance into our lives. Now, often when we think of abundance, we think of financial abundance, or we think of having a lot of stuff. But biblical abundance goes way beyond that, as we're going to see. And to understand Proverbs in general in these opening chapters, I found it very interesting um, what this English English Standard Version Study Bible says. It says Proverbs' goal is to describe and instill wisdom in God's people. A wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord and that works out covenant life in the practical details of everyday situations. And relationships. And as I read that, I thought, well, we just spent the last seven weeks in a series titled A Firm Foundation, where we're looking at God's Word as a firm foundation. And we spent several weeks talking about this idea of fearing the Lord. that That's foundational to our lives as Christ followers, as believers in God and believers in Jesus Christ, is that we would have that fear of the Lord. And here in the outset of the book of Proverbs, we see the fear of the Lord is the main purpose of that book, that we would learn to live our lives with that reverential awe that we've talked about over these last couple of weeks. And so it becomes a a strong continuation and and maintains our Old Testament focus. If you're in our banding together uh, journals and in reading through uh, the Old Testament for a portion of that over the summer, then you may or may not be in the Old Testament law, or in the Old Testament prophets, or in the Old Testament history, um, you'll be reading Proverbs in that journal uh, reading plan in December, but I didn't feel like December was a very good time uh, to, you know, set Advent on the shelf and talk about Proverbs. So here we are today digging into Proverbs and digging into God's wisdom, and you'll see in our passage here that there's an address to my son— and we find this frequently in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. There's the concept of wisdom being transmitted from parents to children. And so the idea being that if you can learn from your parents' mistakes, you don't have to make as many yourself. Anybody agree with that? Anybody try to, any parents in the room, try to uh, steer your children towards doing the right thing, learning from your mistakes so that they don't have to make those mistakes themselves? Uh. Any parents, watch your children go and make the same mistake you tried to keep them from making. And uh, that seems to be the desire here from Solomon as he frames this book of wisdom as an address to his son. And so let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 together, and then we're going to look at the sort of the bookends of this passage at verses 1 and 2 and 11 and 12 as this invitation to abundance through the pursuit. Of wisdom. So Proverbs 3 begins My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the lord 's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in, so we see this exhortation of a a father or a mother, and, and there 's addresses from mother to child in the first couple of chapters, and we see this. Uh, continue throughout the, the first third of the book, addressing a son, addressing a child, depending on which translation you have, some of the newer translations speak to a child instead of a son, so that it's not the ladies don't feel left out from this. Um, but the idea is that, that the address is to the offspring, to a child, and saying, Don't don't forget, don't forget, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And this idea to not forget is a very very common command in Scripture. In fact, we were in Deuteronomy for for several of those messages in a firm foundation. And the book of Deuteronomy is filled with reminders: Do not forget. Do not forget when you move into the land. See, Deuteronomy was sort of like a commencement address from Moses to the people of Israel as they were about to take the promised land. He said, "Don't forget the miracles that you have seen. Don't forget what." you experienced as God led you out of Egypt and, and led you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And you think, how on earth could we forget? How on earth could they forget? And yet, if we look looking honestly over our lives, there have been times when we've forgotten lessons that we've learned. There have been times that we've forgotten truths that we've experienced or miracles that we've witnessed. And I remember my, children, my parents trying to instill in us the value of learning from other people's mistakes. They said, you know, if you're, really, if you're really sharp, you'll always learn from other people's mistakes and you won't have to make any mistakes yourself. Most people don't get through life without making at least one or two mistakes. And I remember one in particular my parents tried to instill in my sister and I... Uh, financial stewardship that would make us very debt averse. And they told us about a time in their own life when they just got in the habit of buying on credit and getting the furniture and getting this and getting that and buying a car and and just kept signing on the dotted line and found themselves into some debt. And, And I thought, well, of course I would never do that. And then we got married and we bought a house, a little more than we could afford, but not too much more than we could afford, and we wanted to go on a honeymoon, and we wanted to go on some vacations, and we had credit lines, so we just kept doing it, and we wanted to have furniture, but you could get it for 12 months, same as cash, and, and we did basically everything that my parents had <laughs> told us, don't do that, it's going to get tough, you're going to run out of margin, you're not going to have a lot of breathing room financially, and we found ourselves in that situation, and we had to draw a line in the sand and say, okay no more debt, and we're going to live within our means, and we're going to pay down and accelerate. And we went through Financial Peace University, and we started to build those wise biblical principles into our finances, the point that we're grateful to be able to say we've got margin in our finances, we don't have debt outside of our mortgage, and we're accelerating the payment of that. But we had to learn that lesson the hard way. We had to learn that lesson from somebody else. And that's the second hope that you see here, is that if you don't learn from other people's mistakes, that you'll at least learn from your mistakes the first time and not have to make the same mistake over and over and over. And we see that maybe pop up the most in relationships, that, that somebody, everybody knows somebody who has, who has made the same relationship mistake more than once. And so this structure Of this book as a parent speaking to a child and and encouraging wisdom and encouraging to learn from somebody else's mistakes, if at all possible, and to learn from your own mistakes the first time, really finds itself in this exhortation let the teaching and commands of the parents guide you. And this was a big part of our message a couple of weeks ago when we looked at leaving a legacy of faith. And we talked about that central passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where, where parents are commanded to fear the Lord and to transmit that fear of the Lord from generation to generation, that the laws and the commands of Scripture were to be on our hearts, and they were to be transmitted from one generation to the next as they walked on the road and as they went in in the morning and they woke up and as they went to bed at the night. And the whole idea is that this faith would be transmitted and wisdom would be transmitted from one generation to the next. And so we see that in verse 1, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, in the inner person. Let that guide you, give you a sense of conscience. And then there's a promise that comes in verse 2 that follows, flows out of that. The promise is for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. The promise is long life and prosperity. And we kind of understand long life in a couple of senses, as they saw when, when Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 2 promised long life for those who fear the Lord. We say, you know, we're all going to live somewhere for eternity. And eternity is a very long time. We'll either spend that alive in the presence of God for eternity, or we'll spend eternity in a living death apart from God, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, So there's a very real sense in the sort of eternal sense that wisdom, pursuing Christ, pursuing God, pursuing the things of God, would bring long life to us. But there's also kind of the common sense approach to this, that wise people tend to live longer than foolish people, and we see that play out. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that there are fools and there are mockers and there are scoffers and that the foolish, those that don't pursue wisdom, often find themselves with the wrong crowd or they make poor decisions or they take unnecessary risks or they find themselves in prison or in other less than ideal circumstances. So there's a practical side to this. As well, that when we fear the Lord, we bring our lives under His blessing and protection and provision. But there's not only length of days or long life that is promised, there's also this promise of prosperity. And most of us, when we think about prosperity, we think about financial prosperity, but the word that is being translated as prosperity there is the Hebrew word shalom which means so much more than financial blessing or financial prosperity. It has to do with the wholeness of life, completeness and health and wellness and well-being and blessing and peace. And so that's where the idea that the pursuit of wisdom is an invitation to abundance. It's to abundance that we would experience prosperity, not only financially, but physically, that we would prosper in our health, that we would make wise decisions with our health, that we would have physical, emotional, relational, and financial abundance or prosperity. And so we see that in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 talk about relational blessings. And 5, 6, 7, and 8 talk about blessings in our ability to make decisions and make wise decisions. And 9 and 10 talk about our finances. And then the passage that follows really speaks to the lifelong pursuit of 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 wisdom. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we move through this series. But the invitation to abundance is an invitation to abundance in every aspect of life through the pursuit of wisdom, through the pursuit of God's way of doing things, which is essentially the best definition of wisdom that you can find. It's pursuing God's ways over our own. And so, if we fast forward to verses 11 and 12, we see… Another address to my son. And so these two addresses sort of make a bookend on this passage. And verse 11 and 12, this author writes, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And so there's two commands here. The first is don't despise discipline. Discipline not necessarily being punishment, but sometimes you reap and you sow. Sometimes you take on a lot of debt and you've got to deal with the consequences of that. Sometimes you make a foolish decision and there's you reap and you sow. And there's consequences for those decisions. And so the exhortation is do not despise discipline or resent rebuke. When life leads you to a lesson learn the lesson. Don't despise it. Don't become the mocker or the scoffer that Proverbs talks so much about. Turn your back on God. Turn your back on God's wisdom and say, well, fine, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm not going to be pliable. I'm not going to be teachable. I'm not going to be humble, which is really a rephrase of these two verses. Just be humble. Don't be haughty. Be humble. Be willing to learn. Be able to recognize that sometimes you'll make the wrong decision. Sometimes you'll choose the wrong path, and when that happens, learn the lesson, humble yourself, don't be haughty. Proverbs 11.2 says, when the pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And so, we have to understand that there is a humility that accompanies the pursuit of wisdom. The humility to say, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything that I need to know. I need to pursue God's wisdom. I need to read His Word in order to learn His ways and to learn who He is and how He chooses to interact with us and to have the humility to see yourself as you really are and to see God as He really is. When we talked about fearing the Lord, we talked about the reverential awe that is inherent in fearing the Lord. It's not that we're terrified of Him. It's not that we're afraid of Him. It's that we see Him as He really is, supreme and sovereign, and we see ourselves as we really are. And this is the essence of humility. Humility is to see yourself as you really are. And we can get out of balance in two different ways. We can see ourselves as, with an inflated view where we see ourselves much better than we actually are. And that's where pride comes, and that leads to disgrace. Or we can have a false humility or humility that has a, 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 a deflated view where we don't see ourselves as we really are. We don't see ourselves as image bearers of God. We don't see ourselves as those who can be participants in the divine nature through pursuing a relationship with Christ and through learning from his word. And so whether it's an inflated view or a deflated view, we must learn to approach God and approach his word with a humility that says, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything that I need to know. And that's why our bottom line today is that humility is the doorway to wisdom. Humility is the doorway to wisdom, humility to see ourselves as we really are, as incomplete, as not having it all figured out, and to be leaning into God and to His Word and into prayer and into the Holy Spirit in order to gain the wisdom that we need to live godly lives. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That reverential awe towards God requires humility for us to see him as he is and to see ourselves as we really are. And that's how we stay teachable. That's how we stay willing to learn, willing to ask for help, to admit we don't have all the answers. And so the most foolish thing that we could do is to stop pursuing wisdom. The most foolish thing that we can do is to say, I've got enough. I don't need to read God's Word anymore. I don't need to pursue wisdom. I don't need to pursue my relationship with Him. I'm good. I've got it. I've got enough. And that's not how you would describe somebody that, that you think is wise. The wisest people you know are those that continue to lean into God, that continue to find ways to communicate what they've learned. And the only thing that we can the most foolish thing we can do is stop pursuing wisdom, and that only happens when we get a prideful spirit, when we start to despise the Lord's discipline or resent His rebuke. But when we recognize that He disciplines those He loves as a father and the son He delights in, in verse 12, then we see those lessons that we continue to learn, and we see His Word as a gift, and we stay out of that dangerous territory of deciding we don't need God's wisdom anymore. And so if we circle back to the opening story, I'm not really the hero of that story. I recognize the, the perilous ground that you step on when you start to hold yourself up as an example of humility. In my case, I really had botched the situation, and I, I'd gotten into a mess, and I was not thinking that I had what it took to get out. And it was being confronted with my own inadequacy that gave me the humility that I needed in order to begin pursuing God's Word and pursuing God's wisdom in new ways. And so over those next few months and, and years, I became more and more willing to invest time in God's Word and studying God's Word, and especially Proverbs, because I really believe the wisest thing you can do is continually pursue wisdom. And so if you're continually pursuing wisdom through God's Word and through, through prayer and through seeking out those who are further down the line than you, and saying, what wisdom can you impart? Or here's a circumstance that I'm facing. Here's a situation that I'm facing. And I was able to approach my board after all of this Took place and said, "I really believe I would benefit from some coaching. What would you think about hiring a coach that would help me as a young pastor to to learn some of these things and make decisions?" And they were happy to do so. And I began two coaching relationships over the next two and a half, three years that were very beneficial and really helped me to learn and to practice what I was learning. And I learned to lead. With humility and to ask for help. I'd come in thinking a little bit more like I need to be the hard charger. I need to fire up the troops and send everybody in the right direction. And and I learned to ask questions. And I learned to ask those that were around me, what do you think? You've been here longer than I have. Will this work? Will this not work? And those are principles that I've been able to continue to use in my leadership. And I don't always get things right. Uh, Haven't always gotten things right here, honestly. But I've sought each time to have the wisdom and the humility to admit it and to learn what we can learn from the mistakes. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you're listening to this and you think, you know, I can't remember the last time I read through the book of Proverbs. You got 31 days for this sermon series, a little over 31 days. Uh, the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters. You could start reading a chapter a day. And ask God to reveal something to you from that. Don't feel like you have to master every single verse of every chapter. But just ask God, would you show me something today in this chapter that I'm going to read that would instruct me or speak into some situation in my life or some relationship that's in, in, in a little bit of turmoil or some financial situation. And I believe that you'll have the same experience I did. If you'll do that, God will speak into your life through His Word and He will give you wisdom. Maybe you're already reading through the the banding together. You can add a chapter, or you can keep marching on with what you're doing. We'll be doing Proverbs a little bit later in the year. But I want to encourage you to lean in to God's wisdom over these next few weeks and to build the pursuit of wisdom into your lives. And uh, as we conclude the, the sermon I want to encourage you to kind of piggyback off of that as we prepare our hearts for communion. And I want to encourage you that if you had walked in here and would have said, yes, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, is the most important relationship in my life, but you look over the last week or two or month or two or year or two and you say, I'm not sure my habits, I'm not sure my words and my thoughts and my actions would be consistent with that declaration. Then this can be a turning point. Today can be a turning point where we choose to pursue our relationship with Christ in a new and a fresh way. I've talked several times that summer is a perilous time for faith. It's easy for, for our routines to get disrupted, it's easy for our habits to get off course. And so as we sing this song and as we prepare our hearts for communion, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to examine your own heart and to reveal to you anything that has come between you and God, anything that has taken your eyes off of Jesus. And thankfully, we serve a Savior who is faithful and just. And if we confess those things to him, he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we step into a refreshed, renewed relationship with him. So that would be my prayer. Would we take this time to prepare our hearts? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the invitation to abundance that you desire for us to have abundant lives, that you came and lived a perfect, sinless life in order to pay the penalty for our sins, that they wouldn't separate us from you, Lord, but they would be able to receive forgiveness and an invitation into the family of God for eternity. Help us, O Lord. Search our hearts. Help us to respond in faith to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.